Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, host of The Big Picture. Did you just see the latest tentpole blockbuster? Or a surprisingly fun new movie on a streaming service? Or maybe you just want to bone up on the greatest films ever made? From reviews to rankings, career retrospectives to movie drafts, and everything in between, The Big Picture is here for you. Listen to The Big Picture for free on Spotify. Jonah Hill is here. We did. Uh, we talked for a while, actually, when I had my HBO show. We had a good time. We talked about the Lakers. Yeah, Kanye. Uh, who's going to get Jack's seat? You got. You got very uncomfortable because it was foreshadowing a time in life where Jack's not going to be with us. But then we both realized Jack's going to be here forever. I think Nobody he, gets Jack's seat. No, I think he's going to live to be two hundred ninety-one years old. <laughs> Could be. That's the over under. It's two ninety-one point five. Is he the only like white dude who could pull off sunglasses inside always? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I'm trying so. to think. Is there some rapper we're forgetting? Uh, but I mean, like, just as a cool enough, like, actor, just a random white dude to be able to wear sunglasses and be that cool yeah, and not a, be a rapper, Yeah, basically. Who would be the number one celebrity who said to you, I saw mid-90s, it was awesome, man, nice job. That would make you just melt inside. Would it be Jack? I, it already happened, but it's Film, more filmmakers or skateboarders, right? Well, so you'd be so, like a director. Or rappers. Yeah, director, rapper, or skateboarder. Those would be the three people that I value, you know, like if you know, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that kind of thing. And everybody else, I love watching people respond to it, but, uh, you know, PTA and Spike, like people like that, or Mark Gonzalez or Q-Tip, like people like that are the people that kind of, are the cornerstones of why this existed or what I would be trying to, um, you know, like heroes of mine, basically. Yeah. Those are the people that inspire me the most or have inspired me. Well, and as an actor, you have the old, oh, you're going to direct? Like we've seen that before. The, the cliche yeah. of, oh, all right, fine. I like to go, choose go things. Go try this. <laughs> I like to choose things like skateboarding, hip hop, and actors turned directors, <laughs> working with kids, non-actors. <laughs> Every possible thing that someone shits on is like what I guess I try and walk right into. And maybe uh, maybe that's a good way to go about it. It was a good movie. Oh, thanks, man. That means a lot. You have good taste. Well, you, you used Wave of Mutilation, which I was fired up about because- The UK, ver- the surf version. The real version. Yeah. My favorite version. Yeah. Because Pump Up the Volume had it, which oh, I yeah. know you know. I love that film. Yeah. Who and it was like the key part of Pump Up the Volume. Yo, I saw Samantha Mathis. Like, what is this? What version is this? How do I get it? And it was just for years. And then finally when the iTunes and that era came on, I was like, there it is. I know you could finally get it. I think I think if you're, uh, I don't know. I think a lot of being a director, a lot of directors I know, like you just, you emotionally see or hear you hear a song and you see your own version of it, right? Yeah. Say you're at the gym or you're just walking around New York or something. Like for me, like you hear a song and it has your own personal connection to it, your own experience. And as a filmmaker, it's amazing because you get to put the emotion and the visuals to how you experience that song. And right. that this whole movie was like that for me. You well, you're, gen- you're born in 83? 83, yeah. So your generation was used to that. Like used to music being used to advance a story in a creative way. Yeah. Yes. I remember, I'm old enough to remember when that started. Was it American Graffiti? No, it was basically Miami Vice. <laughs> and it was like the music videos for two years. And then Miami Vice was the first one that entire parts of the plot but were But Scorsese movies like Mean Streets and stuff definitely had some, like Scorsese yeah. had some But I'm iconic. saying Miami Vice was like, this is- In the 80s? Yeah, this is just like the key moment of this entire episode is just going to be- Crocking at this phone booth with a song. <laughs> this, this Do you remember this your favorite you? one? Oh, well, that was the that was how the Phil Collins song like blew up a second time in the air tonight. Could, yeah, in the air tonight was from that. Oh yeah, wow. from the pilot. Isn't it insane? Anything too? It was yeah. That was that six, was after like five, six okay. years later. But Vice Sorry, would try this is to, not my era. I'm trying to put it. did Biko and Peter, Peter Gabriel. I'm going backwards, but <laughs> that was the first time I remember like music actually being as important as any character. And then yeah. I think that came and came but I, I noticed that with your movie like and it seemed like you took care and not just picking the songs people thought you would have picked in that movie like no, you had some underground gems I mean to me I'm as much as I'm a cinephile that's I'm a skate nerd and I'm a rap nerd and like you know to me those were a big part of this movie was 
to like elegantly frame hip hop in a way. I think hip hop like skating is always butchered in movies. It's either yeah. like someone driving through the hood or someone popping bottles of champagne or something, you know, stupid like that. And to me, the music that's the emotional backbone of me growing up is hip hop music. So I wanted to make a film that could show that tribe was to me what the Beatles were to my parents, right? Yeah. Or Mob Deep is Rolling Stones, et cetera. Like that is important to me that it's not just used as a move, but used in the way that I I perceive that music to be. You was know? there any song that you didn't get that you were bummed out? You couldn't get the rights or? Uh, no, I, but we didn't have a lot of money. It was just writing letters and begging people to use it and begging screening them the movie. Yeah, for real. Like, that's it. Like, I didn't have, I think everyone, like the knock on when like an actor makes a movie or someone who's in Hollywood, they're like, he just cut a check for all these songs. Yeah. Like, I had no money. I didn't pay Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross <laughs> any money. I didn't like, you know, it wasn't like that. So people just showed up for passion, which it was really meaningful, you know? I would figure, I would have thought that would have been one estate that got a little salty. Like some of especially like, the you know, Wu-Tang's. <laughs> uh, well, sometimes there's samples involved. And then what happened was I went to Morrissey first because I figured that would be the hardest. Plus fun to go to Morrissey just for anything. Yeah. No, I mean, I wrote him this letter that really meant something to me. And then he said yes right away. And then I'm- Really? Yeah, he you just said yes. You didn't have to show yes. up to his castle? I wrote him a really drink personal blood with him letter. Or you know the coolest thing about him though? What? He- is the only modern author, like when he did his autobiography, he said he'll give it to Penguin, but it has to be on Penguin Classics. So it's all like, you know, like of Mice and Men and then Morrissey's autobiography. It's just so, he's so sick. Like he's the coolest. Um, and then I, I'm lucky enough to be friends with, and and one of the first people, the first person I showed a first cut to is Q-Tip. And so once I had Tribe and Morrissey, I think people were like, oh, this is, you know, cool people are cool. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Get some of the big dogs first, and then some people are like, "Okay, we can we can participate." It's That's been- what would happen with Thirty for Thirty. We had to get like the first three, and then yeah. you go to everybody else and be like, "We have this guy, this guy, and this guy," and then it's like, boom. It's a tried and true formula. Yeah. I think you just go just for who imagines the hardest, and then they're like, "Oh, that person's in on it." it I think I've work. fully done movies where just because they got someone I thought was cool was in it without even me thinking. <laughs> Did you too get much double about crossed it. ever <laughs> in that scenario? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you're like, <laughs> we got Leo, we got Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's like, yeah, you want to be, what's that? Uh, did you ever see, what's that great doc about Shep Gordon, Supermensch? Did you see that? Mike Myers made it. Oh, it's so, you would, think it's I so it. up your alley. It's about Alice Cooper's manager. Mike Myers from SNL? He co-directed a movie called Supermensch about this music manager named Shep Gordon, who's basically like Zelig. Like he's just been everywhere. Just side note, you would love it. It's yeah. so up your alley, but he had this thing where he was trying to blow up Anne Rice. Is that the singer? Like the kind of old white woman or like the white, like kind of corny woman from the seventies. Is that Anne no, Rice? Anne Rice no, Anne is the, the writer. Author. Is the, is the yeah. author. Fuck Corny dude. from the seventies. I'm blowing it. Whatever. She's like, she's like a John singer. Denver kind of singer yeah, yeah. or whatever. And he got in her in a picture with like the Hollywood vampires, like Alice Cooper, John Lennon and Harry Nielsen. And he's like, it's by association. Like yeah. you, you shine it by association. And I think everyone kind of does that in some way. You know, where it's like, just be in the photo with John Lennon and Alice Cooper and Harry Nielsen and you're going to be cool by association, right. right? So I think you do that in life too. Like you've done, made horrible decisions as a teenager, which is like what the movie's about basically, yeah. just because you're seeing someone you look up to or respect do it without even thinking about what your personal, you know, stake is in that decision. I don't want to add, I don't want to ask you the same questions you, I know you're on the, you know, you've done a few interviews. Yeah. Um, but what made you, this is the only one I'm going to ask you that you've answered before. Sure. What made you want to tell this story? What resonated mm. it? Because it's like, it's a really personal, um, you know, I, I don't think you grew up exactly like this kid. Mm-mm. So what was it that drew you to the kid and the character? For those who are listening, who haven't seen it yet. It's this kid with this older brother who hates him. Yeah. The movie's called mid nineties. Mid nineties. Well, we said that before. Okay, my bad. I'm going to keep plugging it, though. No, you're the man. Um, You do whatever you want. I'm just happy to be here. This is cool. (laughs) Out of the things I have to do to promote movies, this is uh, like an obvious high point. Uh, Oh, thank you. Um, So he's got a mean older brother. Yeah, he's got an abusive older brother. He's got a weird single mom thing going on. He's a latchkey kid. Yeah. And he's got a single mom who's kind of figuring out how to be an adult herself. And he's lonely, and he's really lonely, and he's trying to figure out a way into connection. And he sees skateboarding. He sees these kids and they're 
I'd say their brotherhood and their connection, you could see from 10,000 miles away. And whether it was skating or anything, I think yeah. everybody's just looking for community. And he makes these friends. And it's about like when your friends are far more important than your family. So and what he, was your version of that? Skateboarding. You know, well, it's been many different things. Yeah. You know, when it was a kid, when I was way younger, it was like The Simpsons, right? And it was like other kids who were into like comedy and The Simpsons and stuff like that. And then skateboarding. So I grew up skating in West LA. This is not like my story. It's not a biopic. I sucked. But, you know, uh, I'm sure Barry Levinson can't smash home runs, but he can make a damn great movie about baseball. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. It's like, to me, it, it, uh, Actually, I don't want to talk shit about Barry. I like Barry a lot. He's my one of my heroes. He probably yeah, can smash like, him. Fuck that guy. He's like, dude, run. I can hit 50 home runs. I hit a 250 <laughs> home runs. <laughs> um, no, but but it came into my life when I needed it, and it provided me with a community. It provided me with – there's just such an anti-subversiveness to skating, and especially at that time as opposed to now. Now it's going to be like an Olympic sport. But, yeah, you know, society kind of shit on skateboarders, but it was very like – punk hip hop big brother magazine was the the humor was so subversive the taste in music the how you dress just like a lens that you see the world through but when i got old enough to reflect on it it was really just a bunch of outsiders who loved one another you know and that to me i always knew skateboarding was going to be part of my first movie if not a central part of it you know i intentionally didn't read any of the interviews you gave for this cuz i'd wanted to be surprised by your answers cool the one thing that I noticed in this movie, and I have no idea if I'm on it or not, mm. is it felt a little like uh, like kids, the Larry Clark movie, like the mm -hmm. vibe of it. Was yeah. that was that in your head at all or no? I think it's like the funniest knock for people like who haven't seen it is like they're like, oh, kids 2.0. And it's like oh, they're saying that? Like when the trailer came out, like, you know, like you go on Instagram and they're like, kids 2.0, whatever, you know, and well, it's not like kids, though. That's the thing. But it had that kind of... I didn't have a history with any person in the movie except Lucas Hedges. Right. So you don't know anything. So I don't know anything. So I'm just like, all these new people are in my oh, life. No, it's totally fair because it's mid-90s skateboarding. So the yeah, aesthetic yeah. is, I mean, identical, but it's us matching to that period without it actually being in that period. So it's essentially like a full period piece. But kids came into my life the same way Goodfellas did, like a wrecking ball. Like, like yeah. It's one of my seminal movies for me. So oh, the movie's okay. made with like such huge consideration of kids. In fact, I put Harmony Korine in the movie as like uh, ode to kids, like a little nod of respect. And he read the script and gave notes and has been a big supporter of it. But to me, it's the same. I mean, it's the same world because they're they're skaters in the mid '90s. But it's kind of like an anti kids because kids is beautiful and it's nihilism, right? It's kind of like the world's ending tomorrow. Let's fucking blow everything up. Well, and I never wanted to see the kids from kids again at the end of the movie. <laughs> I was like, I'm done with all these people. Your movie, I was like, no, wait, it's, I want to hang what's out. What's going to happen? Well, the, 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 the difference is that this, Late 90s, this movie's sequel. all about connection. You know, yeah. it's literally all about hope that like, even if things are really messed up, even if you make terrible, possibly life ending decisions, people have love for one another. And I think to me, the only reason to get out of bed in the morning is to connect or create. And often those things really overlap with one another. And so I don't really have a nihilistic point of view. I really, whether it was back then or now, I can get really negative, but ultimately what keeps me going is connection. Yeah, And I wanted to be the kind of filmmaker that, you know, makes things that even if things are gnarly or they're, they're harsh or they're uncomfortable or unsettling, ultimately there's a heartbeat of like connection there. And I, I like films like that. Yeah. So you don't know this, but I got involved a little bit with this documentary that HBO is coming out called Momentum Generation. Mm -hmm. You heard about this? No, not yet. Um, it's coming out in December. December, you said? It's a movie about Kelly Slater and all the dudes that he surfed with. Uh -huh. in Hawaii and this brotherhood that they formed in the early 90s. Wow. And what happened was this guy that was with them started making videos and was putting this punk punk rock music to it that nobody had really heard, and it kind of spawned this whole movement. Uh-huh. And then all those guys blew up and became super famous. It's a really good documentary. Like, I'm really proud of it. But it, I can't wait it was to funny it. that there was, in this parallel universe, the same sort of skateboarding thing. Now, it didn't 
there was no face, there was no Kelly Slater for skateboarding in the mid nineties, right? Was there somebody that, cause Kelly, he became famous cause he was on Baywatch and started dating yeah. Pam Anderson. I mean, not, not really. I guess Spike Jones would kind of be the, the oh, yeah. artist in residence yeah, of I guess, like I guess this he culture. Would, yeah. yeah. Because someone who became a very, the face of it kind of just represented the, a version of the artistry that comes from these kind of individual sports. So it's like a group of individuals that form a team, unlike baseball, it's like, or basketball or organized sports. It's really kids who don't want to be in their fucking house who like are right. out there in the streets and- Or a little damaged in some way and who they're just wants, you know, searching for something. There's a type of person that is drawn to something where you slam on concrete over and over and over and have to get back up and do it again. And the only result is really personal. Right. You know, well, or maybe right. a high five from your friend, you know, it's like, it's not like hitting a home run in a stadium, you know, and it's not like, uh, just a generation of great artists come from skateboarding. And I think whether it's customization of your board or the graphics or artists or filmmakers who filmed or like myself, like I was a filmer, I sucked. So I filmed yeah. everybody, you know, Spike's kind of the, was the uh, poster boy for that working. You know, and he's a friend and a collaborator and a mentor. And I think he does represent, I'm not an ambassador for the culture. I'm just a kid who it affected. Spike is a really good artist to come from that world at that time. Well, the other parallel with the surfing and the skateboarding is the crazier the thing you pulled off or the more kind of reckless and it somehow worked, the more mm. cachet you kind of have in your group. Like, holy shit, just seeing that guy. Like when He's out of his mind. In the movie yeah. when he falls, mm -hmm. I don't want to spoil it, but he- does a thing that he lands basically yeah. below a building. <laughs> well, this kid is like, whoa, man, that was cool. I mean, that's what gains him respect yeah. along with um, sexual achievements, yes. right? So it's yes. like in the movie, there's, you know, uh, a scene where he has his first sexual encounter and it's, it's kind of, un it's very uncomfortable to watch. He's a young kid, you know, and the girl's older. And not only is it, the pain you endure that gets you up through the animal kingdom, you know, sexuality at that time, at least from my perspective, in a truthful way, was taught as like, as opposed to joyous connection, it was currency yeah, to get respect, right? Which is lessons we're all having to like unlearn now, right? So to me, it just, whether it's the homophobic language, whether it's the misogyny, whether it's all this stuff, I wanted to try and be authentic and I wanted it to be raw and it is hard to watch a lot of the time. Yeah. But it's the truth. And I really, the people I've worked with that I like my heroes that have like mentored me the most, they're not moralist filmmakers. I don't really want to be a moralist. I kind of want to like present a palette and let the audience decide how they feel. And that's one of the reasons I like the movie because it doesn't shy away from things that are hard to watch in my opinion, whether that's self-abuse, whether that's, you know, the way people speak to one another. Um, I just wanted to show people fronting for one another and then what it's like privately also, you yeah. know? Well, I think that's been a real conundrum the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. You saw it with the Game of Thrones, the, the creators that? of that show and people what got was really that upset about some of the content and this show's too mean to women and, and it's like, this is a show with dragons, and, you know, like this is a complete alternate universe and everybody's awful to everybody. I forgot someone was saying about talk show hosts, how now they have to be like our moral guides all of a sudden when yeah, something fucked up epicenter. happens in culture. And it's like, yeah. no dog, you're a comedian. Like you tell jokes, you know, like, right. like to me, putting something in a film isn't supporting it. It's showing it. Well, it's also art. And yeah. it's you're creating characters and you're not condoning the behavior of the characters sometimes. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I just think, I I hope if I'm lucky enough, the reward of all this is I'd get to make another movie. All I want to do is just make movies. Yeah. Like, I love it. I hope to always make complex, challenging characters that aren't as easy to sort of like take away what you feel about them. These kids do some horrible things. Yeah. <laughs> like, ultimately, they're there for one another. And so it's not so black and white. And to me- Movies are their best when things aren't so black and white. We did this podcast called The Rewatchables where we go back. I love it. Oh, thank I you. I love that. Well, we, did love Redding, we did Redding Crashers and mm. we're like, this is a movie get made now. But I think uh, two good examples that you were in. So super bad. Mm -hmm. Like you watch that now. I watch it with my kids. Uh -huh. So my, my daughter's 13 and my son's 10. We started watching. I'm like, 
ah, they're old enough for super bad. It'll be fine. I hadn't seen it in a couple of years. Right. And it was like 20 minutes. And I'm like, all right, we're not watching this anymore. Like the, the language that everybody was using. And um, I was like, wow, I, I didn't realize. And it was only 10 years ago, but I still stand by the movie. That's just how kids, you're trying to represent how kids were talking in whatever year that was. It's interesting. It's an interesting thing. I think we're in it in so many ways. Mostly I just want to like listen and be helpful to people if I can, because I am yeah. a straight white dude and like literally no one really wants to hear how I feel about <laughs> this shit. And so it's like, I'm just here to listen, help out if I can be yeah. better. But yeah, man, I mean, I, I look like, to me, I waited to become a filmmaker. It's what I wanted my whole life. I fell accidentally into this amazing acting career and got to learn from all my heroes. And it's been insane. It's been amazing. But ultimately, I'm serving someone else's vision, right? And to act is to be seen and to write is to be heard. And so for me, I had to really think about those things when making this film. If I'm going to show the 90s, am I going to show it as, as raw as it was? Or am I going to rewrite history, right? Yeah. And I felt it was more offensive to rewrite history than to show it how it was. And that should be the point in my mind, right? Yeah. But look, like you make, yo, the one thing that is hard right now, and I, I, the reason why I couldn't stay just in comedy, like just straight up comedy, is because A, I think the reasons why a lot of comedians are dark is because everyone has so many sides to themselves. And if you're limited to showing just that sliver of who you are, you won't be able to sort of maintain the facade, I don't think, as we've right. seen now in lots of ways. So that was just a part of who I am. And at the same time, how the fuck are you supposed to be funny now? Like, I, I don't understand how, how you could do it. Like, to write a, a something funny, you to do anything good, you have to fail forward, right? So- a great Chris Rock joke starts as like a decent Chris Rock joke or maybe even a bad Chris Rock joke. So if someone's filming his sets as he's sharpening his act and trying to get a joke ready, how is he ever supposed to get to that great point, right? And if it's funny, it's hard now because things are getting better in a lot of ways because people aren't getting fucked with that have been marginalized. But they're also unable to laugh at things and so it's a tricky thing that I'm not really able to reconcile with. You know what I mean? Like I have a hard time with it because I am someone who's been marginalized, even though I'm a straight white dude. I'm someone who's been made fun of like constantly throughout my career. Yeah. But also I have a sense of humor. And so it's like this tricky thing where people are sensitive and they're, they're also want to have fun and enjoy life and laugh. Right. So it does put everybody in their own unique personal situation but the coolest people like Chappelle or whoever they just make their art and they walk through it and they stand by what they make and I don't know I'm still there watching it yeah Chappelle's two specials are really fascinating because he just was like fuck it yo I was at one of the Chappelle shows and one of the things there'd be a moment where the Asian person next to me was super offended or a yeah. moment where I was super offended or a moment where someone else was super offended, but everybody got it, right? Yeah. So it's like everybody's like sort of an equal, uh, everyone's fair game, he's, right? He spreads it around. Yeah. yeah, and he doesn't fuck around. He's a genius. And I also saw things that were like deeply upsetting to people. Should Dave Chappelle not make comedy specials anymore? He's the best living comedian in the entire world. Like I hope he get you know, like- we're just in a weird place in our world and we have to just like kind of understand that and like yeah. let other people sort of dictate where it all plays out because that's what's up. You know? Yeah, but the comedy, it's it's removed the safety net. It's like if, the, if comedians are the circus performers that on the trapezes that catch each other, but it's okay because there's the safety net at the bottom. Now yeah. there's no safety net. And when somebody's trying out a 10-minute routine at a club and – amps it 10% too far. Your career's you over. Yeah, you don't really know until you made the joke of like, oh, oh yeah, you're right. I shouldn't. I should alter that. Yeah, There's right. a cool I'll, idea I'll here. that when I'm actually on stage and right. now it feels like your career could be ruined if somebody's well, iPhone cameraing your what joke. What was so rad about like Lenny Bruce and people like that, right? So think about this. Things were so conservative, yeah. right? That there was such a, 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 the line was so close to us, right? It wasn't this loose line. So if Lenny Bruce is saying anything sort of controversial, it's sort of making fun of the conservatives, right? Mm. And that is punk and that is rad. 
And we celebrate that, and a generation is formed on that, right? Yeah. Or Richard Pryor, whoever, right? Richard Pryor is a good one, a too. A great one. Now that everything is about sensitivity, which I'm not saying I disagree with. I'm a sensitive motherfucker who hates being made fun of, and it hurts my feelings deeply, and I talk about it. So I'm not saying I have an answer or there is an answer, but my point is now that everything's about sensitivity, the only way to be punk is to go to the other side, and that's not allowed any longer because you're – your career's over. Yeah, so but you it's just like, spelled out, that's what's going to happen though. Huh? I think that's where this is going to go. I think, I think I don't know people where it's are going to rebel the other way because that'll be the interesting place to be. And we just got to sit back and watch. And that's, it's, and that, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Cause I'm with you. I don't know what happens to comedy. And I don't think sometimes you can't legislate what's funny. I don't, if there was like, cause somewhere. if you're going to do that, you could go back to the first five years of SNL and we could go through, 50 sketches and be like, that show should have been off the air. I mean, so I, I, I was reading, I, uh, I was reading uh, Harold Ramis's daughter's book and she's talking about how she would get on Harold about Animal House now. Like the oh, politics Animal of Animal House. Now. Yeah. yeah I mean, and I've been seeing it since I was a kid and it actually wasn't that many for me. Animal House can be legislated because there's an actual like a date rape thing in Animal House that- but that's my point is that's like not my film, right? Yeah, like sure. I was more, 40 years ago. Yeah, like right. for me, I was more like coming to America and stuff like that right, right, or my right. like seminal comedy. But like, yeah, like shit changes, jokes get weird. <laughs> like yeah. it's all weird, man. Like, and to me, I guess I'm I'm trying to, you know, you saw my film, right? So it's like, there's really funny stuff. There's really emotional stuff. There's really violent. There's really joyous stuff. It like- But it's authentic. And I think authentic is what matters. And that's my point is like, is like, I'm willing to kind of just say what's up and and hope that the people that understand know where my heart is, but it's also not my job to tell people how to think. I just want to, if I'm doing something about time period, I want to tell the truth, you know? I, I, my only issue is when we go and go backwards and try to legislate art where- It's a tricky zone, yeah. You know, like even you could go through, I'm sure the Apatow movies and be like, oh, well, and it's like, I mean, you could 100%. We weren't doing that when they came out. I was talking to a friend of mine who's gay and he was like saying like, do you remember in 40-year-old version when they're having that whole scene where they're saying like, you know, I know you're you're gay. gay. And I was like, whoa, I didn't even, if you had told me at that time, like how fucked up, I'm not in that scene by the way, but like everyone loved 40-year-old version. (laughs) I don't know, like, and it's like, I know those dudes are not hateful, mean people. And then my friend's like, yes, fucked up. And you're like, yeah, it is. So it's both. It's still a funny movie. And that scene is fucked up. And it was not meant to be fucked up, but it wasn't thoughtful. Someone calling me, you know, some like fat clown or something, or like they're making some joke about me. They're just being funny, but they don't realize it like hurts me very much and very deeply, you know? And so it's hard to delineate that kind of stuff. I'm saying it's a, it's a little, it is, it's not so black and white. Like everything, it's not so black and white. There's gray and there's texture to all of it, you know? Well, and I think if somebody's doing it in 2018, when we have a little more knowledge about stuff, then mm-hmm. that's a different story. I don't like going backwards. Yeah, you know, it's it's actually interesting because my little sister, Beanie Feldstein, who's like the illest actress ever, shout out to Beanie. She's in <laughs> Lady Bird. She's killing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's like, you know, she's the OG when it comes to like feminism, privilege. Like she schools me constantly, right? Yeah. And it's really cool to hear because she doesn't, A, she doesn't like put me down like I'm a moron if I don't get something. And she tries to teach me in a positive way, right? right? But it is really things you don't think about are fucked up to other people. You know, a joke, you might make a joke or Howard might make a joke about like making fun of me on the air when I'm not there or something and it might kill me, you know? Like it might actually make me like depressed for two weeks, right? right? But he's just like, hey, that's a joke. I'm just making a joke. It's all love. You know what I mean? It's like people hurt people without thinking about it. So I do think sensitivity is a good thing but it's also just layered. You know what I mean? It's just more complex than we than we could just call it on either side. You Howard know? is immune from all of this. It's amazing. I was he driving- is immune from all of it, but he also changed. He also changed in a he lot did, of but ways. He still gets away with a lot. I was driving around two weeks ago and he was Prince. Some Prince's estate had sold his song to some <laughs> terrible ad. And Howard was having so much fun with it because Prince was like, don't do anything with my likeness. I'm going to change my name. Like you can't do any, wouldn't yeah. sell out in any way. And now his estate is selling. And Howard 
was so funny for five minutes just making fun of this. And I was like, he's the only person who could do this. He could. And you know what's actually kind of weird is like he's – I'm going on a show next week. He's more sensitive than anybody. Oh, God, If someone yeah. made fun of him, he would be so hurt. And I kind of hope we get to talk about that on the show because to me, there's this whole male – and like, look, I'm not a sports bro. I don't I, – I, I'm not like – you know, I'm a sensitive dude and I'm not a sports dude. And some of your audience I know might murder me, but like for me, like I am a sensitive person. If there is this male machismo thing of like, you can't say something hurts your feelings. You can't say right. like you're called a pussy if you're like something hurts, but like all the damage that people do, especially men, especially what we're seeing probably comes from being hurt and being too, uh, proud or um like overly masculine to be like yeah that shit i don't like the way that feels you know that that one time you came out all of a sudden you lost a ton of weight and people went nuts and you had to have been aware of that right i think my whole career i made this zine that i hope people check out with a24 that's kind of about it's called inner children i interviewed everyone from like q-tip and dj premier mark gonzalez kim gordon raymond pettibon uh you know tons of different people michael Sarah, my sister um And it basically is just about how, like, I think everyone has a snapshot of themselves no matter matter what it is, right? Mine is, like, I'm this 14-year-old overweight kid who wants to fit in with skaters. And and no matter what success I would achieve or how I looked, whatever, I think you carry that with you, right? Yeah. And I think – and what I found was everyone's was different and it existed in everybody. And it would be shit you would not even – you couldn't even comprehend if you looked at someone. You know what I mean? Like – DJ Premier's or Q-Tips or Edie Falco's. Like, they're all different, you know? Um, But my point is, is like, man, like, that is my part. That's why I never connected to sports in a big way because I didn't like being made fun of so much. And comedy was hard for me because it fucking sucks. Like, you don't want to be hurt all the time. And then you feel like you have to be mean in response to be defensive, right? And I – and. I want to be nice. Like I literally just want to make movies and be a happy, nice person. And I felt like I was always on the defense or the attack in comedy because it's like people are just supposed to be mean to each other. And it's, it, I'm too sensitive for it. You know what you did know? a really nice job of hitting that is uh, funny people. Yeah. That movie's first, cool. That, that movie's on Joe a lot. Killed it. Yeah. The first like hour, 10 minutes of that, just when it really dives into Sandler and the comedy scene and these young kinds, it's, it's, it's but way, it's way anywhere, man. You've been on sports teams. You've worked oh, yeah, in sports. Yeah. Like you know, whether it's like it's anything in life. I think we are getting to a point in a cool way, just as it's a hard way for certain things. It's a cool way of like, yeah, man. I'm gonna be exactly who I am. You know, like I may be this kid from Superbad that you like want to be this certain thing, and I love that movie, and I love making that movie. But I'm 34 years old and now I'm starting to make movies on my own and yeah. I'm not trying to have anyone tell me like who I'm ever going to be for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know what I mean? I could have had a lot easier time making this movie like a broad comedy, which I love. Like my favorite movies like Coming to America. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like, or I love Superbad. Like besides like Moneyball and Wolf of Wall Street, Superbad and This is the End are like my favorite movies I've ever acted in, you know? So to me, it's just, I really think it's cool if you're a young kid and you're listening to this, I think it's cool that I'm like just out here getting to be myself. Like, I don't really feel like I have to be any other kind of thing. Even talking to you, I was intimidated to come in here because when I was on your show last time, I was in a different headspace. No, we killed it last time. I know, but I still felt like I'm talking to this like adult guy who has his own show and he's like this like sports guy and like blah, blah, blah. And what if he says something that like, I get offended by in my heart and then I like have to like get defensive, you know, like yeah, it, yeah. you're it's insecurity, you know? And it's like, as long as you know, you're coming from the right place like you don't have to feel that, or you can talk about shit. You don't have to be insecure like that. And I think it's a very freeing thing. And I think making this movie really helped me to get there. I know? do think it's that times are changing though. And I think there was definitely a bully culture with the internet mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, you talk about like the Gawker type blogs and, mm-hmm. um, the first five, six years of Twitter and it was a lot of like gotcha stuff and mm. just people people being like unusually mean. And I think, you know, the last two years, given who, who not to get all political, but we had a president who's basically is a bully as part of his routine. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. And I think 
the bullying stuff just seemed to resonate differently after that when you saw somebody who's in charge of the country who's like, I'm just going to bully people every once in a while. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's shifted how people behave and act now. Because I do think we're entering some sort of nicer era. I really hope so just because- I hope so anyway. I hope so just because no one wants- Anyone who's being mean feels bad afterwards because they're like, shit, that came from a place of hurt. Yeah. And no one wants to be mean, someone be mean to them, right? So it's like, I don't know. I definitely grew up in skating. I grew up in comedy. I grew up in like all the cultures that are like- Kill or be killed. Yeah, right. Don't be a pussy. Don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, and I don't, I can't survive living like that. You know what I mean? At the same time, though, you were, that whole crew that you had of all those young guys, like kind of, I don't know what the word is it, but like the kind of Apatow generation, Uh whatever, like that was pretty fortunate. Like some of the people you crossed paths with were unusually talented. Fuck yeah. Um, I wasn't a comment on that. That was a good thing. You guys were pulling. No, I'm saying you guys were all pulling for each other, and it's yeah, like, that seemed pretty rare, for sure. I mean, dude, I I've had the most charmed like walk through entertainment on the creative side, and the because I don't even know lessons what it, I've learned, like like education I've gotten, yeah. whether it's from Judd or Seth and Evan, like people like that, or Ben and Miller or Spike, or it just kept going of of really cool people to learn from. And for me, I don't know about you, I see, I think you seem pretty studious because the way you love movies, the way you love yeah, sports, yeah. the way. To me, it's like, it's just educational. Like you just, if you want it, you get this, you can devour knowledge of how to make the things you end up wanting to make. Do you think all the people were uniquely talented and just happened to be together or the the fact that you were all together made everybody more talented? Uh, no, I think Judd just over and over again, like just a lot knows of people, how to find he's the right just a great talent scout. Yeah. He, he's very talented himself and he's great at seeing talent in other people. Um. You know, with this movie, a big part of making my first movies, I wanted to work with non-actors or first-time actors yeah. because I was given that opportunity early on in life. And, like, it's been so cool to, like, see these kids become actors through making the movie and see them, like, approach it so ferociously and so um, seriously, which I would say was the common thread if you look at, like, me, Seth, Jason Siegel, all those people. You know, like, it was – we all were, like – hyped to get to learn and take it seriously. Right. You know? And well, I definitely think as the years pass, it becomes more unique. Cause like right now there's no little generation of that. When I did the podcast with Damon, we but were there talking is about no, like, like, like Gerard, Bo Burnham there. And it's what's cool. It's like they're creators. You True. know what I mean? Like to me, those kids inspired me. Like Donald Glover, like, I don't know how he, maybe he's my age. I don't know if he's, he's probably younger than me. Cause yeah, you're is right. Now. That is kind of its own generation. It is. But like the Don- multi-platform kind of. Donald was a huge inspiration to me. Like he got me off my ass. So did Damien Chazelle, like kind of people yeah. that were younger than me starting to create things. I was like in other people's shit and complaining that like, I wasn't able to like have my own voice. Right. Right. So it's like, no, put in four years and make a movie, like get off your ass. You know, like if I can do it in my room, so can you, you know, like I do find that shit inspirational. Donald was sick of playing like eighth banana for like, you know, no good parts for young black men. Then he creates a show that gives him a huge platform to have a voice. Right. And for me, I'm not in that scenario and that's not my story. But at the same time, he inspired me to be like, yo, if you got something to say, go start your career. Stop saying you want to be a filmmaker and go do it. You we know? had Damien Chazelle a couple of days ago, right on that couch. He's gr- I don't know him. I never met He's him. He's only 33. We were trying to talk him into doing Fast and Furious 11. Like just sell out completely. <laughs> You know, we're in a world right now where he could just totally go do that. Yeah. And no one would shit on him. You know, that's like a big just thing. one check. Why not, man? Bang it out, man. Come on, dude. Do your version. The way I view it, I view it very differently because of these kids I've been working with, too. It's like 90s was all like, if you sold out once, right? You're done. You're dead. Yeah. Right? So these kids, I'm like, yeah, well, Mob Deep never sold out. And they're like, yeah, Mob Deep like lives in like a one bedroom apartment. These kids are like, we don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Like, that's tight that Migos is on a song with Katy Perry. Like, they they don't have judgment like that. So for me, the way I view it is, I view commercials as a way that now we live in a world where someone who is a good artist can do commercials and then make art. 
right? So or I think bands they, can sell their songs to a commercial. Twenty years ago, you I would you would take get that, shit like, on for doing yeah. that. Yeah, you'd be like, what are you doing? And for me, I'd rather have Damien Chazelle be in a Samsung commercial or direct a Samsung commercial and get to make his art. Yeah, than to make Fast and Furious Eleven. You know what I'm saying? Like for me, I was always kidding myself that it was this middle ground. And to me, it's not. Like, I work at A24 now, and I spent 10 years at Sony. I was basically like Mickey Rooney. Yeah. I was like <laughs> a little, like, dancing boy over at Sony. <laughs> and, like, they're kind of, like, you're trying to kid yourself that they're these, like, things that are based in art, but it's commerce. You know what I mean? And A24 is a place that supports filmmakers, supports art, supports film. And to me, I'd rather be in, like, a commercial and then make a film that actually represents my taste. You know? Have them be very... Black and white in that way, you right. know? The, mo- the most interesting movie you made, I thought, um, just career-wise, was when you were Moneyball, because I wasn't expecting that. And I think if you hadn't done that when you did it, maybe one more year you just typecast as the comedy guy. Yeah. And I don't know if you get out of it. I don't know if the audience accepts it at that point. But, but you, man, you, you did it early enough where it was like, oh, oh, so he's actually an actor. Okay, I get but it. But I still do a drama now. And they're like, Unex- out of left field, Jonah Hill. And it's like, I it works in my favor, honestly, like because it like always seems to surprise people. But to me, if you even look, now you've done like how many like I'll do Gus Van Zandt movie and then like they, like that gets good reviews and they're like, out of left field comes Jonah Hill in a drama and I'm like, all right, man, cool. Um, but to me, it I it's not a like being funny is a part of who I am. Yeah, And when I'm comfortable, when I'm with my friends or I'm loose or I'm like with people and I'm happy, I love being funny. And when I felt I had to be funny all the time, it made me dark. And I didn't like the way that felt. And I don't think I would have survived it. You know what I mean? So like to me, it was just important to fight to have – to not be in a box. Like even as a filmmaker, it's like you're an actor. Oh, you're going to direct a movie? Or like you're a comedian. You're going to be in a drama? Oh, you're an actor. You're going to make a movie? Oh, you're, you made this kind of movie. You're going to make this kind of movie. It's like- Unfortunately, that's a huge part of having a long and good career is the choices. Well, but you we know We talked what? about that with Damien. It's like, did you have you thought about your next move? Like you're three for three right now. And he's like, yeah, I'd be lying if I hadn't. Like what's, do you study other directors in the course of, of what course. they've done? He's like, of course I do. Like yeah. you have to. It's, it's chess. And it's also like, you can look at people's careers. You can literally like- if I want to look at Mike Nichols, who started as a comedian and was this amazing filmmaker his whole career, you can literally look at the choices they made at that time and see how they did certain things. Now, a lot of time it comes from the heart, which I want it to come from, yeah. no matter what I'm doing, acting, writing, directing. But there are things that if I had done two more comedies at the wrong time, maybe I would have never gotten the chance to be in Wolf of Wall Street or right. Moneyball or something. You know, like, I don't know. But to me, I guess the way it feels is no one's sitting around thinking about me. <laughs> Everyone's busy with their own fucking lives. Like they don't care what I'm doing. They don't, right. they take one look at me and, and they you pop back up in their life and, and they stink whatever they think. Right. Yeah. The way I put it is, is like the best thing I ever heard in my life was true confidence is living in uncertainty. Right. And I think that's what I struggle with the most. I think a lot of people probably struggle with that is you get married, you want make sure you and your spouse are in love forever. You take a job, you want to make sure you keep getting promoted and you never get fired. You, you just want certainty. So for me, I'm this kid who comes out in super bad and I'm, I'm funny and I'm chubby, I have curly hair and I'm that in your head. In the one second of your life you've ever thought about me, I'm that thing. And the second I'm not, it's like, it's kind of like that Boston thing. Like, Oh, what, you think you're fucking big time now? Oh, yeah. It's like literally like- Matt David. Yeah, like when I was listening to Matt Damon interview, it was like, you guys are killing me with that. And it's kind of- uh, we, We've been doing that in the office for three weeks, the Boston people berating Robin and Williams. It's, it's so hey, funny. Hey, Mark, you think you're better than me? Yeah, and, and, and that's cool. Like, yo, I get it. People have way bigger shit in their lives to think about than like me or my career or who I am or what I am. Or I get yeah. it. But to me, uh, I just took me a long time to love myself enough to be confident in who I am as a person. And for whatever reason, I just refuse to be in one box. I just like want to make the things I want to make because that makes me happy as a person. And I don't want to have to ever apologize for who I am. Nerdy directing stuff. What'd you learn from Scorsese? So much, man. So much. What was number one lesson? 
Because I know at that point you're thinking about directing. So you're yeah. watching, you're kind of soaking in shit he's doing. Number one lesson I would say is like, and I would do this with the kids in mid-90s all the time, which is sometimes you'd be talking to me or telling me like this long story. And I'd be like, what does this have to do with anything? Yeah. And he was really talking to me about the scene we're about to shoot, but he was just telling me a story from his life. And I didn't realize till like way later, he was talking to me, he was telling me that story for a reason. And I did that a lot with the kids because the you kind of got to hide the fact that you're making a movie from these kids, even though they became so such good actors and they didn't improvise, even though I wanted them to. They wanted to memorize the script to become these people. But if so I gave was, them something too deliberately, they'd do it too deliberately. So he was trying to knock you out of... No, he's trying to give me the note without deliberately right. giving me the note. So I'm not thinking about exactly how I'm going to deliver what he wants. So he's telling me a story that expresses the same thought or idea without saying it to me so deliberately. Because if he said it deliberately, then it's in your head that you're just it's like rattling off his instructions. Take two for steps the left, take yeah. two steps. You know, it's like That's it, really interesting. It was amazing. And it, it really, it really helped. It helped get these kids in a place where it felt like we're just talking. We're just shooting the shit. So you have like seven pounds of cocaine in front of you. And he's like, let me tell you a story about <laughs> the Rolling Stones. When I lived with Robbie Robertson. Yeah. <laughs> Mick Jagger, he leaned forward too far. And then he just walks away. You're Essentially, like, okay. but more, less literal about actions and more about like the way something feels, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. So it's like, and I imagine that's like being a father. You know, I'm not a father yet. I have nephews. But like sometimes when I'm trying to talk to my nephews about something, I won't, you know, let's say like their mom will hit me up like, oh, you know, a kid was meeting to him at school. I won't say like, I heard a kid was meeting you at school. I'll say like, you know, when I was in sixth grade, like this kid did this kind of thing and it really bummed me out. And that gets them talking about something, right? right, right so right. it's like, you don't put them on the spot. You're sort of just opening up and letting them come to you with so their you problems. you know how to parent. This is how to parent. I well, do I'm, this with my kids all the time. Yeah, and that's kind of what directing is. You can't bring up exactly is. what you want to find out. You have to they'll call you stick around it. it. And they'll be embarrassed yeah. and they'll be whatever. And so the kid, directing kids is kind of the same way. It's like, they get self-conscious, right? So like, you don't want to be like, hey, you know, you're, you're doing too much. You're touching your face too much in yeah. this scene, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you got to be like, I was making super bad. And I remember I like, I kept like wiping my brow with my hand. And I remember like, like afterwards, like Greg Matola was like a couple of days, like, oh, I wish I hadn't done it as much. I didn't listen to him, but I wish I hadn't done it as yeah, much. Yeah. Like, oh, cool. And you just kind of get them thinking on their own wave. Quick, uh, quick know. aside. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally yeah. makes sense. Um, just because I didn't want to forget to say this. The lead actor in this movie. Sonny Solchik, yeah. So he's really good. At skating? No, just in oh, general. Acting, yeah. like I'm, I'm, He kind of draws you in and and- Initially, he's just kind of dumb and happy, but then there's this other side that comes out. Um, were you scared about not being able to find the right actor for that part? Because I honestly don't know if the movie works as well if that actor's not good. All the kids were the make or break, right? Like you Nicole almost Smith, had to go five for five. Yeah, if there's one weak link in there, you're fucked. Because uh, first of all, Sonny's amazing. He, He's really good. He was 11 when we shot and I'm 34 and I've never had to strap a movie to my back and like walk across the field. Oh like, that. you know, he was 11. So he's truly a genius. He's like a savant. He's just this brilliant actor. And he'd and never done a movie before. He'd done one movie. He was, in, but I found him at a skate park and I was like, you ever think about acting? He's like, man, I was just in some fucking movie. Uh, <laughs> this guy, Yorgos Lathamos. And I was like, Yorgos Lathamos, the guy did the lobster. He's like, yeah. He's like, Killing of a Sacred Deer, fucking Nicole Kidman's in it and shit. And I was I like- I saw that movie. Yeah, he's amazing. He's the little he kid. He was in that? He's the younger kid. Oh, yeah. I didn't even realize. And so I called Yorgos, the director, and I was like, what's up with this kid, Sonny? He's like, he's a genius. Hire him. He's amazing. And he was really generous. And Sonny was just brilliant. He, he came in, did the scene where he yells at his mom, which is like one of the most gnarly scenes. Yeah. And everyone just like was quiet. You know, it wasn't like a kid actor. It was right. like- So I knew I was going to cast skaters- and turn them into actors because that's the mistake everybody makes is you, you cast actors and try and have them fake being skateboarders and it's always corny. And Where'd you find the black kid that was the best skater out of all of them? Because uh, I thought he was great. His I actually feel like he's going to be a star. He he He's like blowing up from the He's going to be a thing, I think. It's really exciting. Yeah, he's like the breakout of the movie. His name is Nikhil Smith and he rides for Supreme. Like he's one of the best professional skateboarders. He had never acted, never thought about acting. And now he's the star of Fast 11. And now he's, by yeah. Damien Chazelle. <laughs> by Dam he's in Damien Chazelle's Fast he's 11. He's replacing uh, Vin yeah. Diesel. <laughs> Yo. Um, yeah, he was really good. But Nikel is amazing. And same thing. It's like, 
the harder part with like Lucas Hedges and Catherine Watterson who are in the film, you know, it, the challenge of this is like, you need to bring actors. It's their movie. It's the kids movie. Yeah. So actors, no matter how brilliant they are, are actors. They've been in a million things. And it's like, you're playing their game. So wherever they are is where you go to. You guys got to be in the same film. They're not right. going up to your like style of acting. You're going to their reality because these kids have an inability to bullshit, you know? And so that brings real actors or, or, or multiple act, you know, actors that have acted for their whole lives to a more realistic place than they would ever have to go because usually the tone of a movie is just more elevated, you know? But these kids were so special. And with Sonny, I knew I was going to cast a confident kid and reverse him to meekness at the beginning of the film yeah. because I knew I couldn't cast a meek kid and have him fake confidence. Oh, that's smart. And yeah, he, that makes sense. And he's like the smallest person you've ever seen in your entire life. Like he had exactly what I was looking for where he was like really young looking for his age, but he was like 10 feet tall inside. And actually the, the only challenge was his older brother's abusive play by Lucas Hedges was getting Lucas is this really sweet, sensitive guy. The only way to shoot those scenes for real and have them be as visceral as you want is you know, Sonny's a skateboarder. He falls down 10 stairs every day. And I was like, are you down to just do it for real? And he's like, he's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> he was so hyped. But Lucas. He didn't want to do it. He was too yeah. like upset to hurt Sonny. And it was harder to get Lucas to hurt Sonny than for Sonny to want to do it. You so know? you're like, Sonny, can you just insult Lucas until he gets mad? I was just like, I don't know. Because the, the whole reason I cast Lucas is because if you cast someone who reads as like an abusive asshole – in the older brother part, it's like so stock 80s lame, right? Like just mean older brother. You're going to play Chet in Weird Science. hundred. That's yeah. literally what I would say all the time. I was like, we can't have Chet in like Weird Science. Oh, I love Chet in Weird Science, but it's a different <laughs> film, different film. Yeah. Um, but I was like, if you cast someone who's really sensitive and big hearted underneath like a veneer of abuse and anger, you're going to really empathize with this person. And that was important to me. So what? So what's next? Next is I think. Are you gonna like direct more? Are you gonna be like go back and forth and direct some? Because you're you're clearly a director. This movie was really good. Thank I really you, enjoyed man. it. That really means a it lot. It was really to me. good. I, I um, know you wouldn't. Uh, you wouldn't. Well, that what, say it if you didn't mean it. I always judge this shit by did it stand out? Was it, you know, was it well done? Obviously, but also like, is it just memorable? Am I gonna remember the experience of it? Was it like other things I've seen? There was a bunch of different touches in it that were just different. That made me think, like, oh shit, Jonah's actually a director. That really means like, a lot. He can to do me. this. Now, I mean, watch, you're going to do some rom com next. <laughs> completely sell out. <laughs> I'm directing Damien Chazelle in his first acting role in Fast and Furious. <laughs> uh, him and The Rock. Scarlett Johansson is too busy for love. <laughs> no, I think I could. she meets Brad Pitt. I could have made uh, literally a billion choices to make my first film easier. And I yeah, did. Yeah. It's just like. To me, as I was saying, I was trying to delineate, I'm trying to delineate like how you pay the rent versus how you make things that matter to you. Because in our world, they don't really overlap that much anymore, you know? Yeah. Back in the day, you look at like Mike Nichols was probably getting paid like mad money to direct. Like, Seriously. Or Barry Levinson was getting paid like lots of money to direct like The Natural or something, you know? It's like, not that I'm ever going to be like that, but those are my heroes, right? Well, so, but the reality is the way the movie industry is going, like Damon and I, we talked about in the pod about how the 15 to 70 million movie is basically going away and yeah. you have to get super creative with how you make them. And, you know, it has to be either a filmmaker who brings some cachet to him mm -hmm. or you just have to money ball it. No pun intended. Yeah. But, um, but he's right. Hard. He's right. But thank God for places like a 24, man, right. because they support real filmmakers. They support, I shot my movie on super 16, like, yeah. In four by three aspect and ratio. It's in, yeah, it's it's the square format, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I thought that was just the screener they sent me. And then, it, then no. I realized that was probably how you intended it. Yeah, it was it was deliberate. And I love and I love that, you know, they let me do stuff like that. Yeah. You know? And to me, I don't know what's next. I'm gonna start writing some. I have my next movie I'm gonna write, but I just wanna make things that actually represent my taste and what I care about, what I mean something to me. You well, know? how you whether that's you, an actor, whether that's a director, whether it's a writer. Did you graduate from Crossroads? I did, yeah. How how many good things do you have to do to supplant Baron Davis, Austin Crozier, and Kate Hudson as the Crossroads the person? Go to Crossroads. Have I? No, I don't know. How, what do you, what else do you have to do? <laughs> I don't think I have. Dude. They have they, <laughs> Baron and Crozier have retired jerseys up in the I gym. Know. Like they they should retire. Like you. Holding like a director's card or, or two man, card or something. that would be that would be amazing. I don't know. You know, the one thing I will say is like, 
I was definitely, yo, I was like a skater with like blue hair and did a lot of drugs. <laughs> and was like, yeah. And I was just like, you know, like a very artsy kid, a really sensitive kid, a really kid who got in a lot of trouble. And that school was cool, man. They 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 celebrated uh like the things I was good at, like writing, basically yeah. writing. That they've celebrated that I could write. And that's pretty dope, you know? My that's one it's of very the, untraditional. I think my daughter wants to go there next year. That's why I brought up the crossroads <laughs> thing. If you need a letter, bro, let me. I might, let me I might know. have to hit you up. I'm the letter. I'm the letter whisperer. LeBron is a crossroads parent, so that's it's that's crazy. Cause, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know, man. I live in New York. I don't have kids. I I look forward to the time when I have kids. It's a hard. It's a. If you're so you, in entertainment, you live in like New York, you are, not here. I live in New York. Yeah, yeah. I live in Any New reason? York. Um. Yeah. Basically, like five, right before I started, as I was writing mid '90s, actually, is when I moved. When I started four years ago, because because you grew up here and you were here like your whole childhood. I was here my whole life. Yo, like, uh, when you're here in LA, right, and you work in the entertainment business, um, there's a lot of pressure to do bigger, flashier things. Yeah. Like, you know, you're around someone and they make you feel insecure because you're like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm writing a movie starring Nikkel Smith and Sonny Solchik for 824 right. <laughs> for the next four years. And they're like, cool, I'm directing Transformers. It's all yeah. good, you know? And it's like, <laughs> you know, for me, it, it like gets in you. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not. I, I I have to protect myself because it, I needed some space. I need space to kind of understand what I really want to make and why I really want to make it and not to be impressive or to impress people or, you know. You just, go to New York City, everyone's just walking with their AirPods on, just silent robots passing. It's a great place to, the to ruminate on a film. Yeah. But to ruminate on a film for four years, it's a great place to go walk around. And when I edit, like, you know, just cruise around the block, it's like, it's a great place. And then also like a lot of the filmmakers I that are mentors of mine or people I really look up to live in New York, you know, like the Coen brothers or Ben and Miller, Spike Jones, oh, ben, ben Miller did Moneyball, right? He did Moneyball. from him? So much, so much, man. Him, Spike and Gus Van Zandt signed my DGA certificate. So those are like the really? three people I've like, I, I lean on a lot, you know, they're really, um, and you realize films are made by committee. Like when they screen their films, I'm always there like giving notes or on scripts. It's yeah. like films are made by community. And you trust like your eight to 12 people. Yeah. You have people you go for. And I've been lucky enough, like, you know, not in a, in any way of just, it's the truth. It's like, I've been one of those people for people for a long time. Yeah. And, and I finally felt like I had enough, a, um, emotional maturity to lead people and be confident enough to have my own voice and not just try and bite other people's shit. So I waited until, you know, I'd been helping people with movies for a long time and I was really excited to just finally get to make my own. I always wanted to be one of the- You could come watch a cut of my 12. next movie. Nah, yeah, I was wanting to crack that group where it's like, hey man, I'm screening. You're not in with me though? You could come, I'd nah, be honored to have you in my next movie. the only one. He, he, you made a movie? No, no. He just texts me and he's like, should I, should I break up with my girlfriend? <laughs> That's the only counsel I give. You're man. in the focus group yeah. of like relationship you know advice, Kyle's essentially. Girlfriend. Did you break? Did no, you guys break they, up or no? They, it's a tough one. I did. He doesn't believe me, but it's just, he's there's, getting bad info. He's getting bad info. Okay. He disappeared on Saturday and we're unclear where, where he what was. What happened? Yeah. yeah we, they, That's the worst. I've been one of those where it's like, um, uh, your friends are all like, yeah, he's still, he's still seeing her. And you're you like, know no, what no, I mean? No, no, and no. I have girlfriends who are like, yeah, she's still seeing him. You know, it's like, and you all, everyone in your life knows, knows you shouldn't. And yeah. you, but you, it's a surprise party for one that everyone knows. I'm like, how'd you know? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, dude, cause you're still miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate it. Cause you're not smiling the same as you weren't for the past year. Cause, yeah, cause you look sad and you have bags you in your eyes. you dead inside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, good luck with this. Thanks, man. I hope, it, you, I hope you do the whole award circuit and the whole thing. You know what, man? It's the, cool. I hope it makes reward, money. When does it come out? It comes out Friday, mid-90s, comes out Friday in LA, New York, and then next Friday, the 26th, nationwide. But truly, when I say this, like, talking to you and having you say the things you say about it or speak about it the way you speak about it, those are the kinds of things that you, like, take away from an experience ah, like I this. I appreciate that. And well, you had me at wave of mutilation. <laughs> that was the pixies. I just, I just, like, I just man, he gets it. He gets, he gets me. <laughs> what about the Kanye sample? Where was that? Okay, when he falls off the roof, like the crane. Oh. It's in the trailer. We, the Black Slaves sample. The end of Black Slaves is the sample we we use the sample from the song that he used. There was like I should have written down. 
I should have written down all the all my thoughts on the music. I'd say, is there a Spotify playlist yet? Did somebody so we do did it? the first official uh, movie go soundtrack Spotify playlist. I'm going to email you my thoughts. So it's I would on love there. That. Yeah, and we did the thing, and then I'm going to end up releasing the 200 song like master ones that didn't make it into the movie, but just like the kind of master. It was so many I couldn't like keep track, but the a lot of but with the mutilation, you actually like you you rode that one. That was like that was a like a, and a, half. a montage. Yeah. yeah, but you know what, like. The whole joy and for people and and you know what everyone at the ringer for real like Sean everybody who I've I've like gotten the chance to hang out with and talk to about this film like well we're kind of the audience for it you are the audience if the for ringer it. likes this movie it's a good thing because I mean yeah. I mean you guys have been so supportive but for real like to me I am thirty four I hope to get to make more movies because the things I care about are things that are not when I was younger starting out in movies, weren't celebrated in films like right. hip hop, like yeah. the, the culture that I come from and that I love. And so for me, the whole joy would just be to be to get to make more films. It'd be amazing. That's all I want. I mean, this is a site where we debate the basketball scenes in Above the Rim. For, <laughs> great for movie soundtrack. Two, three straight. One, great, of, the, one, one of the OG one of the great all time. Is it regulators soundtrack. on that? I oh, but I'll never. Big Pimpin never made it as like a major hit, and I'll never understand it. Yeah, With, Above, uh, I got to rewatch it. Oh yeah, big. Wow. There, there's a whole bunch of. Uh, What's another classic one? I mean, that's hip hop. That's like the classic hip hop one. Maybe. Oh, Deep Cover was pretty big because that was when Dre and Snoop first were on a song. Tupac's on it too. Yeah, Tupac's um, on it. But uh, the Above the Rim run was. Legendary. I think one of the great hip hop soundtracks. And that's what we were trying to do basically with this thing is like, we were going to sign a record deal and put it out. Cause it's like this people love the soundtrack whenever yeah, someone sees the to. movie, but we did what was cool is we, I made it on Spotify when I was making yeah. the movie. So we just did it with Spotify. It's like, people are going to go and be like, Oh, you can listen to the mid nineties soundtrack moment for moment. And Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did the score. Also, we should talk about that, which is dope. Well, that score was great. So Good. those guys, they just, they just go from movie to movie and make great scores, and they, they're just like I did not. Think they we never were run get out them. of this shit. We screened the movie for them, and they were like, "We don't have money." I was like, "We don't have money," and they're like, "We love the movie. We want to do it." I was like, "This is the coolest thing that anyone's ever said to me." And my whole thing on them was like, you know, my favorite score, my favorite modern score is the, the Social Network score. Yeah, which in my opinion, which is their score, and in my opinion, it's about that movie and that score is about like coldness. Yeah. And so my idea to them, he's like, what do you want? And I was like, I want to hear your perverse take on warmth. And what they did ended up being really effective. I, I still listen oh, that's to cool. it. It's cool. Yeah. You weren't in the social network, right? No, it but actually like low key, because you were talking about your Matt Damon thing. Yeah. Low key, David Fincher, or high key, David Fincher didn't want me in social network. I was up. It was between me and Justin Timberlake for that part. Oh. And David Fincher- this was, I guess, what, 12, 10 years this ago? This is unbelievable information. I wish we knew this I have when a we bunch did of the cool ones like I have, I have cool ones like that. But Fincher, I've only met him once or twice. He was you super were like, nice. Fuck you, Fincher. No, no, no. I, I, like, honestly, he's he's the man, obviously. But, like, he was not having me. Like, the studio wanted me, I think. And then Justin Timberlake was amazing in it. How but that's you- the only one out of my whole career that I'm like, you know how, like, Damon was talking about, uh, uh, what was he talking about Chris O'Donnell or people that are kind of blowing up right before you? Yeah, what was the one he didn't get? Uh, Primal Fear. What Primal he was saying, Fear like Primal and Fear was yeah, so everyone for me, in town went for it. My era, like my people like that, so it'd be, which has actually been kind of a cool time because it'd be Shia LaBeouf would get the part, get offered the part, just like Jews basically. So Shia LaBeouf would like <laughs> get the part. Jesse Eisenberg would get it if he didn't, if he turned it down. And then me and Paul Dano would fight for the scraps. So like me and Paul oh, Dano always hilarious. have this great like camaraderie. We're friends. And like, because it was like Paul Dano and I would fight for like the Jesse Eisenberg, Shia LaBeouf scraps that they didn't want. So like Squid and the Whale. Oh, everybody went in on that. Everybody, for me, it was, um, what was like that, that Project Greenlight Shia LaBeouf Movie. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the Shaker Heights. That was Shaker a big Heights. one. Like, and yeah. Emil Hirsch, he was like the indie darling then. I wasn't obviously in that realm. He was even, but Shia was the one. Like everyone was like, dude, if I could have Shia LaBeouf's career, that's crazy. And actually, like turns out, history was like to me, he's like the coolest. Like he still is epic. You know, he keep, he keeps us on our toes. I can't. I bet you that movie he makes with Lucas Hedges that where it's him and Lucas Hedges about his life. It's like something he just made. I bet you that's gonna be a banger. Like I would keep my eye on him. He's he's someone I I I think is a really good actor. Did you audition for Little Miss Sunshine? Mm, I can't remember if I I must have I must have auditioned for Little. That was like the era. Like it was like what um, was another fork in the oh, road? Girl that you Next didn't get? Door. 
Girl Next Door. Um, what was it? Dude, wait, I have so many good ones. But Social Network was the one that I actually was like, years later, was like, fuck. Like, I'm so bummed. You know? You would have played it differently, too, than Timberlake did, right? He- Because he, he played it more like big, life of the party, celebrity. But that that's not actually what Sean Parker was like. I think he, like, invented a version uh, of him. Whatever he did, it was great. That movie's like- It was me, cool. That's it like felt the very best Timberlake-y. movie. Is like the, that's like the best. That's a movie I watch probably, well, we like, say, on a loop. Like, when we you can watch re- that movie anytime. We did the rewatchables, and we decided that that was easily the best movie of the decade. Wow. Like, all the- the rewatchability of it, how good it was when it came out, how original it was. Of course, All yeah. the fucking, the CGI that was three years ahead of its time with Army Hammer. Oh my God. Uh, just the fact that- That's the one you could watch off. anytime. It's yeah. almost like Goodfellas jump kind of in. or something. Well, Goodfellas is on all the time and I keep watching it. And it's the same thing. It's like, ah, all right, he's going to beat up the guy across the street. All right, I'll stay. I kind of go like uh, uh, Casino. Casino's another good one. It's another like one and it doesn't get- because of Goodfellas, because they were like close together it was too close. or something. It was like four years apart. But Casino's so dope. It's so good. Goodfellas actually makes you feel like you did cocaine by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I think in rehab. I'm just sweaty and jumpy. I mean, like that, I would definitely exhaust. I was like, I would just sometimes like, I would kind of push it to the limits with my Goodfellas questions with Scorsese of like, oh, how you, far like, you'd can dole I go? it out? Well, I would just be like, if like someone broke the seal, I'd have like eight questions for that day, but I wouldn't break the seal. I'd kind of wait for your, someone else to break the seal. What was your I, number one question? Oh my God, it's so many questions. But mostly how they shot the scene. Um, obviously the the Warner and the Copacabana. I also was interested in how um, they shot the, you know, like, you think I'm a clown? Yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. Of stuff because it's really simply shot and you can hear Scorsese laughing over it. Like he's just laughing so hard that you can like literally hear him laughing. Oh, in the actual. Yeah. Like he's just like, he's like, I just couldn't stop laughing. Like when he likes something, he laughs. So even if it's like dark and he likes it, he laughs cause he's just happy. So I thought that was really, I always found that really sweet and cool. You know? Do you think De Niro when he was like, no, no, over there, it's a little more. No, 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 no. You know it's so dresses. funny? You, so think, do you think those guys were killing her or no? Were they going to? Yeah. Yeah, I think he was trying to, I think he was trying to get Or was it. she being overly scared no, I, and I, whatever? I mean, I guess it's up for interpretation, but my, my interpretation I'm in the was he that was trying to kill her camp. You think he was? I think he was. Yeah, me too, for sure. But I don't think it's But certain. I always do that. Like, that's one of those gestures no, no, you can't no, see no. at home, but like, yeah. I always do that with my friends where I'm like, no, 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 right there. <laughs> no, no, back, back, back. <laughs> it yeah. is a classic well if we ever do the Goodfellas rewatchables we might have to drag you into it it's just such a great I love I mean like not even on your jock just like I love the ringer like I oh I, thanks I man I think you guys are doing such an amazing job and it We're just trying. Uh, things like that yeah they are it does feel like a generation I don't know it's kind of cool like I feel like I guess I'm getting of the age people are starting to make things like in your mid thirties or something like that. Right. Yeah. And so it does feel kind of like people of my generation are starting to get to like author things. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. Thank you. Know? you. Well, yeah. I'm proud of you as well. So let's be proud of each other. Hell yeah. No. Thanks for yeah, having it's me. It's a great movie. Please go see it. Mid nineties uh, out in theaters on Friday. Thanks for coming up. Thanks again. Thanks again.